0: delighted that you've joined us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that will give insights into the various aspects of our Lord's temporal ministry, from His teaching and miracles to His atoning death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today is entitled, Know How to Wait. The text is found in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. He that believeth shall not make haste. He shall make haste to keep the Lord's commandments but he shall not make haste in any impatient or improper sense. He shall not haste to run away, for he shall not be overcome with the fear which causes panic. When others are flying hither and thither, as if their wits had failed them, the believer shall be quiet, calm, and deliberate, and so shall be able to act wisely in the hour of trial. He shall not haste in his expectations, craving his good things at once and on the spot, but he will wait God's time. Some are in a desperate hurry to have the bird in hand, for they regard the Lord's promise as a bird in the bush, not likely to be theirs. Believers know how to wait. He shall not haste by plunging into wrong or questionable action. Unbelief must be doing something, and thus it works its own undoing. But faith makes no more haste than good speed and thus it is not forced to go back sorrowfully by the way which it followed heedlessly. How is it with me? Am I believing, and am I therefore keeping to the believer's pace, which is walking with God? Peace, fluttering spirit. O rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Heart, see that thou do this at once. (laughs)
1: What a privilege to come into God's presence, just to linger with the one who set me free, as I lift my eyes and see. he holds the power of creation. With his voice he spoke, and all things came to be. Yet he hears each simple prayer I bring before him, as I humbly seek his face and bow the
0: As God's people prepare to enter into the Christmas season, they meet with much that distracts and detracts from what should be the main focus of this joyous time of year, the incarnation of God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often, the demands of holiday traditions and the increasing secularization of this special time obscure the glad news of the angels. Unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. To assist you in meditating upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, Let the Bible Speak is happy to offer a unique publication called The Twelve Days of Christmas. Written by Roger Ellsworth, an experienced minister and writer, The Twelve Days of Christmas is a small paperback book containing 24 Christmas devotions, each including a short scripture reading, and a concluding portion that draws lines of application from the text to modern-day life. The book is intended to help the hearts and minds of believers to focus on the wonder of the Incarnation, as well as to encourage unbelievers to come in repentance and faith to Christ. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to make this inspirational booklet available free of charge to our listening audience. You may have a copy simply by contacting us By phone, email, or regular mail. By phone, call 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may write Let the Bible Speak. 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, Two nine six one five. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. We encourage you to request your free copy of The Twelve Days of Christmas today. On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns brings the next portion of a message called Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, and the Superior of the Temple. From the passage in Mark two twenty-seven and 28, we see another instance of Christ arousing the anger of the Pharisees by, in their view, violating the Sabbath. First, he defended the disciples for plucking and eating grain on the Sabbath. Then Jesus upset them by healing a man with a withered hand on the same day. The Pharisees had developed a series of regulations as to what could be done on the Sabbath day. Yet, in their hypocrisy, they allowed activities that protected their pocketbooks while forbidding acts of mercy. Christ declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath, a statement of his deity. Through his acts of healing, he showed that he alone had the right to say what can be done on the Sabbath. In other words, it is right and proper for Christians to obey Christ in their Sabbath day activities. Now here is Dr. Cairns to continue this message, Christ the Lord of the Sabbath and the Superior of the Temple.
2: The Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't meant as a means of killing all human joy. It was, a meant, uh, it was meant for increasing human joy. Let me tell you, the further men get from the Lord's institution and the further men get from the Lord who instituted the Sabbath, the less joy they have. What is right on the Sabbath day and what is not right? Clearly from Scripture, there are things that are right for Christians to do for God's people to do every other day of the week that are not appropriate for the Sabbath day. That's very obvious from Scripture. You read the book of Nehemiah, and you'll discover how that should be put into practice. So, there are things that may be morally right other times, and they are morally wrong on the Sabbath day. How do we decide? Simply this. What the Lord says is right to do on the Sabbath day is right to do. What the Lord says is wrong to do on the Sabbath day is wrong to do. In Britain, historically, because Protestantism was very strong in its influence throughout the British eyes, England, Scotland, Wales, and at least the northern part of Ireland. The Sabbath day was a day recognized by saints and sinners, by government and by business. It was a special day. And then came attempts to bring in what we call the Continental Sunday, You see, wherever the Church of Rome ruled, there never has been an emphasis on the Sabbath day. So every one of you dispensationally minded people, whether you're Baptist or Bible Church or whatever, or every one of you renegade Reformed who are following certain notions that you find among various Reformed people now to get away from the keeping of the Sabbath day, remember who your bedfellows are. Wherever Rome has ruled, there has never been an emphasis on the Sabbath day. Never. And so the continent of Europe, having fallen largely under the power of Romanism, had what what we called a Continental Sunday. That was the day for sport. That was the day having—when they had gone to Mass in the morning, and they'd got their sins looked after because they uh, sacrificed the unbloody sacrifice of the Mass for the sins of the living and the dead, and they were now back in favor with God so they could get back on to the real life of doing whatever they liked. And slowly but surely, as men departed from the gospel, in Britain they brought in the Continental Sunday— today, just as in America. All the great sporting—well, most of the great sporting events, there are still some of which, it's not true, are now in the Lord's day. But here's the thing. I can understand, though I do not commend it at all, I can understand the worldlings doing that. But what is happening is that now we have very few Christians who are willing to stand by the plain teaching of Scripture that we do what Christ allows on the Sabbath day and we disallow what he disallows on the Sabbath day. Certainly, the Sabbath is a day for working for God— It's a day for showing mercy and doing good to man, as I pointed out, and I'm not going into the details again. uh, In our last study, it is a day for works of necessity and of mercy. The Pharisees couldn't see that. Because it would hurt their pockets, they would pull a dumb ass out of a ditch on the Sabbath day. But they couldn't show mercy to a suffering man on the Sabbath day. Couldn't even allow him to be healed. Here's the amazing thing. They would say to each other, they would speak, go in peace. Every time they met another, it was shalom, 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 go in peace. That wasn't breaking the Sabbath day. But as soon as Jesus said to this man, you do what every one of these hypocritical Pharisees is already doing. You stretch forth your own hand and go in peace. Suddenly, that was breaking the Sabbath. It's easy to criticize the Pharisees, but I want to tell you this cuts very close to the bone, and it gets very near to where many of us are. It's very easy to become so religious that you become unchristian. It's very easy to become so religious that your religion destroys your sense of mercy. And let me tell you that religion that destroys mercy is not scriptural. See what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 7, If ye have known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. How does God say that? He's the one who set up and instituted the sacrifice without the shedding of blood, there was no way of getting uh, through to God. It had to be through sacrifice. But what the Lord Jesus and what the prophet Hosea was saying is this, that when the sacrifice of the Lord degenerates into a ritual of man, just as when the feast of the Lord degenerated into a feast of the Jews— God says, I'm not interested in a religion that has dotted the I's and crossed the T's and is pharisaically, hypocritically happy in its own self-righteous performance and that has no heart for the needs of men. I am not interested in that religion. That's what God's saying. And if God's saying that, I want to tell you today, I fear... I fear that the Almighty is not the slightest bit interested in what passes for worship and service in many a professed Bible believing church. Have you never met professing Christians? that are so certain of their own little ideas on everything under the sun. And if you don't do it their way, you'll not do it anyway. I'm not talking about people standing for the plain teaching of that word, but I'm talking about people standing for their own silly little notions and impositions upon the word. Have you ever met them? They're as bitter as gall. Bitter as gall. And they wouldn't know mercy if it jumped out of their soup, soup plate at them or if they did, they would reject it. When you misquote the Word of God to give respectability to some stupid, crazy, selfish idea that embitters your heart and robs you of mercy, you're doing despite to God. Sometimes it can be funny. Although when you stop laughing, you realize... It's not funny at all. I remember very serious people and very, I'd have to say in a way, sincere people, but so small-minded, so absolutely small-minded that they couldn't stop to think there might be another meaning. In fact, I might have missed the meaning entirely. And they get caught up in little things and became so bitter. I remember uh, I was looking after the church of which they were members at a time. And they came with this bitter complaint. And it was really... I, I think they finally did get out of fellowship. But this was driving them out of the church. People would take the communion cup and they drank. And they said, there's a little left in the bottom... And Jesus says, drink all of it. Don't leave any of it. Of course, that's not what Jesus said at all. He said, all of you drink of it. But to tell them that, now you're trying to change the Scripture. You see what I'm saying? Listen, men and women, when we get to the place that we're willing to quote the Bible to support some crazy little personal preference or prejudice or downright invention of our own and we're so taken up with these little things and the things that we're adding to the great tract of truth in the Word of God, the great doctrines of the faith, that we're shutting off what the Bible calls the bowels of mercies. We have no heart for the people of God. We lose heart even with the Christ of God. You see this these Pharisees spouting the law and yet they're they're in the very presence of Christ and they've no heart for Christ. They've no joy, no love for Christ. They know real really nothing of him in their soul. That's where this kind of bitterness will take you. The Lord Jesus says, listen to them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And if you knew the Scripture, you would understand that, and you wouldn't condemn the guiltless. Let's make sure always— that our opinions do three things. Number one, that they conform to a proper understanding of God's word. I know that's a little difficult. I have had people come and tell me the craziest things, downright crazy things, that they quote a Bible verse for, Oh, the Lord gave me this verse. Now, let me back up. I believe this is a living book, and God can use this book, make a word highlight out for me to give me direction in life. I know the Lord can do that, but I cannot impose that on anybody else's conscience. The proof of whether God has directed my thoughts or not will come in the fulfilling. But the job of every Christian is to read this book and get the meaning of the book in its proper meaning that's hard work for a lot of people and some people are not willing to do it but I want to tell you if you're not willing to do it then don't be so bitterly certain about your opinions until you make sure they're based in that book that's the first thing the second thing our opinions should always respect the lordship of Christ what he saith unto thee do it it. Our opinions should wed us more and more to the Lordship of Christ. And our opinions should always lead us to show the love of Christ in mercy toward our fellow men. Time forbids that I pursue that further. Those are three points that you could take all day preaching— I am concerned, and I I start with me. I am no uh, Superman, and I, I, I start with me. It is so easy for us to make a Bible quotation an excuse for shutting our hearts against needy souls. Just dismiss them. Especially to put them into a big crowd and give them a name. Just dismiss them. The Lord of the Sabbath teaches us this in the strict context of Sabbath-keeping, but it applies to keeping of every other part of the revealed will of God. Do it with these three great things in mind. Comply with Scripture, properly understood. Comply with the Lordship of Christ, comply with the love of Christ and the outpouring of mercy toward the needy.
0: Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. Founded by Dr. Alan Cairns, Let the Bible Speak is also heard in many parts of the world through the international radio outreach of Let the Bible Speak, produced in Northern Ireland. The Free Presbyterian Church stands without apology for the absolute inerrancy of the Bible, emphasizing preaching that centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and is militant in its stand against the ecumenical apostasy and the efforts of the world to infiltrate the Church. For further information about the Free Presbyterian Church, you may email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. Or you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Also, we encourage you to visit the website of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America at www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak.